Alright everyone, well we are here, finally. The uh, NFL Draft Week is here, we are we're taping this on Wednesday morning. The draft is under 48 hours away, that's pretty awesome. And uh, Matthew Fairburn and I wanted to get uh, a couple of these pods out to you before the NFL Draft actually took place because I know a lot of you Bills fans are nervous and wondering what the Bills might end up doing and you know what, it, it, it's setting up to be... One of the more entertaining drafts in recent memory, that's for sure. Um, I think 2014 was a pretty good one from an entertainment standpoint, and I, I think this one is going to maybe even match or take over from that front with all the deals that might end up happening. So uh, it is all angling, the posturing, it's all coming to a head, and Matthew, we are we are here. I can't believe, like... It seems like this this excuse you Fritz. It seems like this uh, draft process has kind of you know really done a number <laughs> on the psyche of a lot of fans. I know I love it. I know you love it. But fans are like, oh my god, just get this thing over with already because they've just been bludgeoned with rumor after rumor so far. Yeah, it's going round and round in circles. It seems like we just keep cycling through i mean that's the way it works when you know the bills are so narrowly focused on the quarterback position and you know that there really is only so many quarterbacks that you can cycle through and so, mm -hmm. so many scenarios that you can talk about and that's you know kind of where we're at but it's interesting because as we sit here on wednesday morning there's still no clear answer of who's going number one overall. Right. And so the entire top 10 could get messy. And that's usually I feel like by this time we know who's going one, have a pretty good idea who's going two. And I think this year we have a pretty good guess, but there's no rock solid conclusion. And maybe that's by design for the Browns to keep everybody guessing and kind of, you know, make teams you know, waste some of their time scouting other guys or going through different scenarios. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they do own the top 10, the Browns. So they're, they're sitting in the driver's seat, leaving everybody in a lurch at this point. And let's start there because their decision directly impacts everything, including the Buffalo Bills here. Because, um, you know, yesterday I put out uh, my best guess at uh, what I think the Bills' big board would be, and it had Sam Darnold at the top. I think you're you're in the same camp. If you, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that uh, you think that he's the top guy for the Buffalo Bills if if they had their way. But um, if he goes one overall to the Cleveland Browns, then that perhaps changes the way they approach the rest of the draft. If he's available at two, maybe they actually think about trading away their, their first round pick next year. So it, there's a, still a, a lot to be decided. But, I mean, all of these different rumors, I mean, Josh Allen spent a good portion of time getting, getting his number one rumors on. And I think they were weighty because they came from a lot of informed people. Um Recently, Baker Mayfield has been kind of the rumor that's been thrown out there in the past couple of days. And but uh, the one that has stuck all along is Sam Darnold, and it seems like we're we're getting back to Darnold going first overall to the Cleveland Browns. And you know, I, I think I think that is would uh, solve a lot of the equation 
at least from a Bills perspective, as to what they do. So Darnold going one, it would take the top guy probably on the Bills board off of the board, but it would also mean that any thoughts of them potentially overpaying probably goes out the window here, wouldn't you think? I would agree. I don't know that they're... I don't know that number two is going to be for sale, period. I, I've thought It's just so silly. We've talked about it ad nauseum, but if they actually sit there and draft Barkley, I mean, if you do it for Chubb, whatever. I mean, pass rusher, you build your team around pass rushers, defensive linemen, you did that in Carolina. Good for you. There's more value. But for a running back, I, I mean, the difference between Barkley to Geis to Chubb to Michelle, I mean, is it really that much? I, I just I just think there's a lot of hyperbole going on with Saquon Barkley myself. Yeah, there probably is. And I think, you know, maybe the Giants are open to trading down. Maybe they've been trying to drum up interest in the pick. I just, I'm not convinced that that's something that the Bills are going to do. I was never really convinced that it would be for sale. I think that's the part of it that has yeah. left me hesitant the whole time. It's not necessarily that the Bills wouldn't offer what it would take. I just don't know if it's going to be for sale, which, if it's not, leaves a lot of room for flexibility in the top 10. If they go Chubb, you know, that create maybe number four becomes for sale. Right. If, if Chubb goes too. If the chalk comes to fruition and it's Darnold, Barkley, Mayfield, which I think is sort of forming as, mm-hmm. as sort of the chalk one, two, three, then, you know, I think five and six is the target. For a trade because that would probably mean Chubb goes four and things could get interesting at five and six. So right. a lot, you know, but everything gets flipped on its head if the Browns actually stun everybody and go for Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Because at that point, you know, we've been assuming that Mayfield would be a jet. Then they seem to be down to Mayfield and Rosen. That's why this draft class is so interesting is, you know, the Browns are sitting there debating over, you know, Darnold and Allen you know it seems like some teams like Allen some teams don't some teams like Rosen some probably have them completely off the board and that's where the whole top 10 just gets really weird right so let's just I mean we did the pod mock last week and that was that was fun um we had a lot of listens maybe close to one of our most listened to podcasts ever so thank you all for you know, uh, going after and, and you know, joining it in on that uh, fun little uh, event slash experiment that we did. But let's just go through, like, if the Browns actually go through with taking Baker Mayfield first overall. That, I think, you know, you, you talk about the Giants pick potentially not being up for sale. But if Darnold is there, I don't know. I I I just tend to think that he is the guy of all guys for the Buffalo Bills. And if he's there, I think Bean is trying to do what he can to get up to two. Because if he's there at three, I think he's gone to the Jets. And that's another motivation because then he would have to face Sam Darnold twice a year. And and you don't want the guy that you that was your pie-in-the-sky guy going to your rival in what you would think uh, in, it, when you had a potential opportunity to move up just by giving a little bit more um so i think that's very interesting and then and then what the jets do at three if darnold is not there is it rosen is it allen i I would tend to think it's rosen but i mean that would just throw the whole thing in flux it could go mayfield darnold rosen and it could be the giants staying put at two and taking darnold sure that's another opportunity a possibility in this whole 
in this whole thing, but there's even been rumors floating around. Eric Galco mentioning that the Bills have made the offer with the future one and the Giants have sort of not budged. So I think when push comes to shove on draft night, we'll see if they do budge. And if that guy is there, if the Bills do include three first round picks and I tend to think they probably would for Darnold. Yeah, and, I agree. But I think they would probably prefer to be a little bit more patient with some of the other guys. And that's where, you know, the whole intrigue starts. Is mm-hmm. And if Mayfield does go one, then it just shows that nobody knows anything because, you know, the only mock drafters who have had Mayfield one have been pro football focus <laughs> wire to wire. And that's because Steve Palazzolo over there does it based on what he would do. And they've been very clear the whole time that Mayfield is their number one quarterback. So they'd be the only ones that would get it right. And uh, I think all all of this, it seems like, happens every year, right? Mm-hmm. You know, different rumors, but it all seems to settle on the guy that, you know, made the most sense, and that's Darnold. But, man, it could get really interesting for the Bills and – I'm not sure Mayfield going one is necessarily the best scenario for them. No, it's not because then that would put more pressure on them to get into two to get Darnold. And if they don't get him, then that creates a situation where at five, they might have to really overpay for something that they could have gotten perhaps at a bit of a cheaper cost, maybe at five or six. So it would definitely put more pressure on Brandon Bean and company, especially with a team like Arizona potentially being in the mix for Josh Allen. Um, if if the first three go Mayfield, Darnold to the Giants, and then Rosen to the Jets, then, man, it's it, Bean's in a spot at that point to do what he needs to do. I, I think the reason why Darnold would be the only one worth it to them and I know we, we've touched on him a bit. We did a Darnold versus Rosen podcast way back ago. But just to you know, re-up why he would be the guy for the Buffalo Bills, at least in my mind. You look at what they look for in a quarterback, and two very different facets are both equally important, I think, to them. And that being the on-the-field stuff. You know, And with Darnold, you have the incredible improvisational ability. He shows potential from the pocket he, sh- he shows he can throw with anticipation go through his reads uh and you know it's watching him make accurate passes in clutch times and especially out of the pocket when he's just got to make it up as he goes along I mean that is very uh, endearing to NFL folks and the fact that he's not even legal enough to drink at this point is also endearing to them. And then from a Bills perspective, the off-the-field stuff is equally as important. And I think for for them, finding someone that correctly represents the organization that they're trying to build is very important to them, to the Pagulas, to everyone involved. And that's why Darnold kind of encapsulates all of that into one. And he's perhaps the more solid of the prospects that would fit in that mold. And... And that leads me to the second guy, which is why, which is, uh, sets up an interesting situation should Mayfield go one and Donald go two and Rosen go three. Because I think the, the second guy that fits their mold based on what they're looking for from both an on and off the field perspective, I hate to say it, Bills fans, is Josh Allen. I mean, the guy from many different accounts just, you know, works his tail off. That's very important to the Buffalo Bills. 
I mean, he's got those raw natural skills and, and all of these things, all of these things lay in, play into it where the accuracy is definitely a sticking point. Don't get me wrong, but I could definitely see Bean, McDermott, that whole staff work themselves into a spot where it's like, man, if, if we hit this right, he could be one of the best to do it. But there's the boom versus bust debate. But, you know, I think the personality of Josh Allen is very much underlooked here in terms of what the Buffalo Bills are looking for. Yeah, I I think when it comes down to it, in my last mock draft on whatever, I don't even know the days. Monday, maybe? Point, I think it was Monday. <laughs> um, I had them taking Josh Allen. I'll probably do a final version tomorrow morning. And I think I'm probably going to stick with Josh Allen. I think it part of it is just, the most realistic scenario for Mm -hmm. them. Um, I don't know that Darnold's going to be attainable. I don't know that they're going to be able to get up that high in the draft and, and take him. I think Allen has probably more potential to slide than people think, uh, even though he's talked about as the number one pick at times when push comes to shove, I don't know if that's, you know, if teams are going to be willing to take that chance on draft night and, and put their reputation on it. But I think that's where I'm leaning for the Bills just because it's not going to take a ton to get him. And mm-hmm. I think if it comes down to Josh Allen or Josh Rosen, I think they might prefer Josh Allen from the personality yep. standpoint. You just, what you read about him, and he's this type, he's the type of guy that NFL teams fall for. I, I think what is going to be really fascinating about this draft is we're going to learn more about Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean on Thursday night than we have in the first year plus that we've known them because all of this talk, all of the, even the comments they make publicly don't really mean anything Mm -hmm. in terms of what they look for in a quarterback or how they evaluate the position. We're going to learn on Thursday night when they pull the trigger on one of these guys, exactly what they look for because you know, in this league, actions speak a lot louder than words, especially the words that come publicly. And, you know, that's not to say that these guys don't know what they're doing if they pick Josh Allen. It just tells you what they they look for. It tells you what they think they can do with the guy. And that's going to put a lot on Brian Dable's plate to build an offense that Josh Allen could succeed in. Mm-hmm. That, and, and I don't think that's impossible to do. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that he does well. I think, you know, working off play action, he's awesome. He mm-hmm. seemed, It seems to slow things down for him and make things a little bit simpler. And working with someone like LaShawn McCoy could definitely help influence that. I mean, should Allen get into the lineup in 2018? And if you can get Allen without giving up your second first round pick, which is a possibility. That's where I wanted to go next. That's where, and that's where I went in my mock draft. 22, they take Isaiah Wynn and, you know, the O lineman from Georgia, beef up the offensive line, maybe get him another, uh, you know, target in the passing game. Kelvin Benjamin would be a pretty good match for a quarterback like Josh Allen because oh, yeah. in terms of catch radius, you know, he's all over the place. So, you know, I think that's a, a good thing. You know, he's the type of guy you can throw it up and kind of trust him to make a play. So mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty decent match for him. And, you know, you already mentioned LaShawn McCoy is, is a pretty decent match for him. So it's it's really not a terrible fit. But 
you know, we've made our thoughts pretty clear on Allen. I put my quarterback rankings out yesterday. Is he five? He was five. Yeah. Uh, Same it went Rosen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen. And I want to be clear because that's not to say, at, at least for me anyway, that's not to say that I, I think he is going to fail in the NFL. I just think when you are projecting him, it's a little bit more difficult to predict success as opposed to the four guys I had I had ahead of him, which in order for me were Rosen, Darnold, Mayfield, Jackson, and then Allen. I think there are some definite workable traits within Allen's game and things that he does inherently that is really tough to teach. And that is what is making... NFL evaluators kind of salivate here because he is he has these these rare type of abilities in certain areas and then he's rough around the edges in others and which is why I all I find it all very interesting when whenever I see someone say hey you know Dable runs this specific scheme or he I, ran this I was very glad you brought that it, up. it, it doesn't very matter glad you brought it that does up. not matter because Brandon Bean is picking the guy that he wants and then the offensive coordinator will have to fit to him let us not forget that Brandon Bean I think it was at the senior bowl or the combine one of the two said uh, when asked you know pairing the the quarterback with the offensive coordinator he's like that's how you get in trouble in the NFL because hey if you hit it right then your offensive coordinator goes out the door in a couple of years so you want you want to take the guy that you believe in the most and then the offensive coordinator makes it work with the guy that you believe in and that way it makes everybody happy well the reason I'm glad you brought that up is because when I read all sorts of mock drafts and different things or people trying to pair a quarterback to the Bills based on Brian Dable, it's funny because I see he fits the you know quick strike offense Brian Dable is going to want to run. He fits the, the college style offense Brian Dable is going to run. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't heard what Brian Dable is going to run. Exactly. If anything, you know, and the the scheme I reference is the Earhart Perkins scheme that, or, you know, language that the Patriots use, which is more so, it's flexible. There's different things that go into that, and it's more how the plays are called. And that's actually the scheme, the same language and verbiage that, Lamar Jackson ran at Louisville with Bobby mm-hmm. Petrino. So if you really want to play matchmaker that way, that's probably Brian Dable's most extensive history. But, you know, it's funny when I, I see like, oh, he's going to run a college style or he's going to run quick strike or all this stuff. How the hell do you know? Brian Dable doesn't know, I don't exactly. think. I'm guessing the way it works is they sit in that room and say – all right, Josh Allen's our quarterback. Brian, what are you going to do to make him successful? A lot of play action or, hey, there's a few passing concepts that he seems really comfortable with. Let's put those in. I think when they fired Rick Dennison, a big reason why was because he wasn't flexible in fitting the scheme to the talent. Exactly. They wasted Tyrod Taylor's you know, abilities and, and the things he does well because... Rick Dennison wasn't willing to be flexible. That was from the very beginning when they tried to force, you know, Tyrod Taylor to fit what they did. I don't think they'll make the same mistake again, especially with a rookie quarterback. And so, you know, if you really want to pair it up, then go with the guy that ran the offense that Brian Dables run the most. Right. You know, but nobody does that because, well, they got rid of Tyrod Taylor. Why would they take another quarterback who runs? Which is stupid. I don't know if they're, you know, 
everything we've heard and seen, they haven't been connected to Lamar Jackson very often at all. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder if that's a uh, a byproduct of them not have a not having leaks and b uh, Lamar doesn't have an agent exactly. So there's he hasn't no done any promulgating going at all. He, I don't even think he talked at the pro day. The last time he talked that I can remember was the combine. He may have. T- I don't think he even did a group session at his pro day. I mean, they've kept him really quiet, and mm-hmm. so you might not know if you know the Bills were connected to him. I'm not saying that I think they are. I'm just saying if you really want to play the this guy's a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. That guy ran. You know, he he could transition, and I don't. And if if it's really going to be oh they got rid of Tyrod Taylor, they would never you know put Lamar Jackson as their franchise quarterback. They would never put all their eggs in that basket. Well, you're talking about guys who had Cam Newton and Sean McDermott who coached against, or, you know, in practice, Donovan McNabb, who was a a scrambling quarterback. So, I mean, you can play both sides of that. And And I, I just think it's, I don't know. I don't like the using Brian Dable as your defense, especially when I see people... Based on you know what I've read, Brian Dable is going to run every offensive scheme under the sun. Right. So you know how can you even do that? I don't. They they haven't installed very much at all to this point. It's a, they've only been in camp for a couple of weeks. Everybody's going to be learning. They probably at have the, the same basics time. down. They, they have. There's certain things that they're going to want to run, but there's there better be certain things that you know they're being flexible on and that they're going to install specifically for this rookie quarterback because the Eagles are the perfect example. Carson Wentz is as good as he is because Doug Peterson is willing to bend his offense to include some of those spread concepts and some of the passing concepts that Wentz is really comfortable with. Nick Foles won Super Bowl MVP because Doug Peterson said, Nick, what do you like? What are you comfortable with? Let's put some of that in. And they did things that way. I think most teams should do that. Brandon Bean was on WGR yesterday and talked a lot about that. And so that's where I people lose me with, oh, this guy's going to be... Josh Rosen's a great fit for every offense. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think... He can throw the ball from the pocket. You're not running read option with, <laughs> with Josh Rosen, no. but everything else he can do. Uh, you know, and a lot some of these guys, you know, there's going to be different things that they do well, but... People lose me when they start saying, oh, they're going to pick this quarterback because of Brian Dable. I I think Brian Dable is going to, you know, we don't have much history knowing what Brian Dable wants in a quarterback. or And he hasn't been an NFL coordinator for a little while. Or if he even has a say in it. And I think a couple of things based off what you just said, Matthew. I, I think, A, it's smart because you have to... When you look at trying to play matchmaker and trying to pair a quarterback with a specific team, I think you have to look first at the personality of the general manager. And I think, uh, you know, with, let's say, the Jets, I think with them, it's perhaps more important and the GM is more important, uh, it's more important to him to pair their offensive coordinator with a quarterback that they think would fit him right away. And that would be Baker Mayfield slash Jeremy Bates. That's That seems to be a pretty prevailing thought out there. However, when it comes to the Bills, I think the personality of Bean wanting to pick the guy that he is more com- most comfortable with, not the guy that they just hired a few months ago being Brian Dable, 
Dable should not be carrying the weight in this conversation for a quarterback. And I think Bean has made it abundantly clear that this is going to be his decision. So, you know, for, Bean's the one who gets fired if right, it doesn't work out. Exactly. And well, they all get fired. They, but he, So does Brian Dable. But I He's mean, the one that makes the pick. And, and Bean's the one who makes the most money. But ultimately... Maybe not quite as much as, as Sean. I'm not sure the exact specifics, but he's the one whose reputation is, is right. riding on this. Dable can go get another job. You know, fired general managers aren't in high demand nope. usually. And and secondly, you brought up Lamar as it pertains to Tyrod. I don't think we've given this enough time of day on the podcast. Let's call it what it is. People are not pairing Lamar with the Bills and and using the Tyrod Taylor excuse, it's because they're both black. Let let's let's be perfectly honest here. And keep in mind, Lamar Jackson is a much more advanced pocket passer than Tyrod Taylor. I mean, I can say that with in definition because you think about you think about everything that Tyrod Taylor was not good at. And how he didn't see the whole whole field, and and how he uh, and how it it was just it was never a throw with anticipation. That is not the case with Lamar Jackson. I mean, take it for what it is. I don't know if the Bills are actually going to draft him, but the hesitation behind you know Lamar should not be. Hey, well, they didn't want a mobile quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. Guess what? All these freaking quarterbacks outside of Rosen are mobile. I mean. Four of the top five, I should say, are mobile. So when you sit there and, and think to yourself, hey, eh, they just got rid of Tyrod. No, that, that should not be be the case. Maybe they just don't like how, or maybe Brandon Bean just doesn't like how his game translates to what he looks for in, in a quarterback. But and they may not like... The Tyrod Taylor excuse is not a valid one, I don't think. No, and it is surface level at best, and it's lazy, and it... Look, they both run, mm-hmm. but... Lamar Jackson has a stronger arm and the reason I put Lamar Jackson number two in my rankings is because I think I'm most comfortable with him as a pocket passer outside of Rosen which is <laughs> yeah when you know you I go see through that. them all it you start to think okay there's a few things that are are pretty big weaknesses for him and I think you saw it in the bowl game that he can sometimes misidentify underneath coverage and that's where some of his turnover-worthy plays come in. Mm-hmm. But And he's got a little bit of accuracy issues, but he actually does have two excuses that people like to use for Josh Allen but conveniently leave out for him are that he had a 12% drop rate, which is the highest of any of these top quarterbacks. His receivers drop passes at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. And number two, he took a ton of deep shots. You know, His average depth of target was, I believe, the, the longest of any quarterback in this class so he really pushed the ball downfield quite a bit and that's gonna you know lend itself to you're probably not gonna have as good of a completion percentage which by the way it was still better than Josh Allen's but correct I think you know from the way he works in the pocket how calm he is eluding rushers and keeping his eyes downfield his aggressiveness and pushing the ball downfield a lot of that stuff is really appealing and you're right. He's he's definitely more advanced as a passer than Tyrod Taylor was coming out of Virginia Tech, and he's probably better in a lot of areas than than Tyrod Taylor is right now. Mm-hmm. So with the potential to get better, you'd probably and they're so different. I mean, Lamar Jackson 
has a lot of throws. I mean, he like I said, he pushes the ball downfield. He's looking for big plays. That definitely leads itself to occasionally turnover-worthy plays. Mm-hmm. That's not Tyrod Taylor. No. How many times did we see him? You know, he was very safe protecting Risk the football. Risk aversion was so, Tyrod Taylor. And I think that was part of the problem the Bills had with him was that he wouldn't take more chances with the ball and he wasn't willing to fit the ball into tight windows. And by the way, Lamar Jackson is a much better runner and a faster quarterback than Tyrod mm-hmm. Taylor is. He didn't run the 40, but I mean, and they're both super fast and, and good runners, but. Lamar Jackson in the open field is an actual runner. He's mm-hmm. uh, not a quarterback running when he's in the open field. He is a legitimate threat to score every time he gets out into the open. So Much like Michael Vick was. So when you combine those two things, you think, I, I, I love what David Shaw, the Stanford head coach, said last night uh, on some program, mocking the draft, Dan Kadar tweeted it out, that if you're a defensive coordinator, you know, find me one defensive coordinator who wants to prepare for this guy. Maybe give Leslie Frazier a voice in the draft room and say, do you want to play against this guy? Maybe more you know, coaches should be looking at things that way. If you're Sean McDermott, do you want to go up against Lamar Jackson? I don't know that you do. Nope. Uh, it's pretty a pretty terrifying thought. But again, I don't know if he's their guy, but I just think those are a few of the, I guess, lazy things that have started to get recycled and i'm glad i'm glad we went over them because it's been a long draft process and a lot of stuff gets kind of you know churned out and i I just think lamar jackson is the most interesting story to follow on thursday night for me personally is just because everything's been so quiet because he doesn't have an agent and he hasn't done much talking you know where is he gonna land and you know what is that team going to be willing to do uh, to get him onto the field to, to make some plays and the the one thing I hesitate with is you know is he the type of leader that they look for because mm-hmm. he much like Teddy Bridgewater coming out of Louisville is more the lead by example quiet leader type and for whatever reason you know coaches seem to shy away from that type yeah. of guy they also shy away from the the Josh Rosen who's apparently too brash and too opinionated so they look for By the happy way, medium that you see that him robot. with siciliano yesterday and colin coward he that was, was awesome. both he was great uh, yeah he he almost lost his cool a little bit with siciliano which was cool to see because that's been his his mo is authenticity and i think you saw that come out yep. um you know when he's bringing up the quarterbacks who were ranked higher than him which he was the number one quarterback in his recruiting class, by the way. Um, he did say he said he was number two, but he's just saying you he's know, carrying he, it. He had to play second fiddle. He got shut down by Stanford because he was, you know, too opinionated. And with their coaching staff, he rubbed them the wrong way, and they pulled their offer. That was his dream school. So, um, you know, he's rough around the edges in some ways that um, you know teams aren't going to like. But I, I like it. I mean, I. I I say, you know, more power to him. He's he's right about a lot of things that he says. And he does, you know, Colin Coward was talking to him and, you know, brought up Philip Rivers being sort of this loudmouth trash talker on the field. Tom Brady, sort of the same way, very passionate, lashes out at teammates. Aaron Rodgers, very opinionated. So why would that be a knock? You right. know, all the best quarterbacks have 
a little edge to them, a little mm-hmm. something different. So I don't see why that should be some big knock against Josh Rosen. Three characters, Q, B, one, at least for me. Yeah, he was. he's my number one guy. I, I just think he's... Everybody calls Sam Darnold the safest of these guys. To me, it's Josh Rosen because you can put him in any scheme and the learning curve for him, I would feel comfortable throwing him onto the field day one. Mm-hmm. The rest of these guys, you know, I think need a little bit of time. I would be comfortable throwing Lamar Jackson on the field day one because I think the running ability gives him a a floor and sort of an outlet that you can make an offense that he sure. can succeed in very early. But and then advance it. But you run the risk but there of, of becoming, kind of curtailing yeah, his progress. As a passer. So exactly. that's why I think I would probably want him to sit. Darnold gets the label as the safest guy. He's only the safest because he's the most boring off the field. <laughs> On the field, he's very much not safe. I mean, he turns the ball over a lot. He's very young, so his development could go you know any number of ways. His mechanics are pretty wonky, so... Rosen's the safe bet to me because he has the cleanest mechanics. He has the most advanced understanding of how to run an offense, of different passing concepts, of what defenses are trying to do to him. And he's sort of been through the fire and come out okay the other end. You know, he started as a Mm -hmm. freshman and had to learn how to take those lumps. And I like the personality. I like the brain he has. And I think that's what makes... Does he have bust potential? All these guys do. But I think he has a very high ceiling to match you know, a, a pretty high floor. I think the, the calming presence is the thing that I keep coming back to um, from just being in the pocket. Because, you know, the one thing he does not have as compared to the other top five quarterbacks is the mobility factor. And, and that scares you a little bit because that's additional yardage you can get when things break down. But I think the thing that people don't think about enough with Josh Rosen is when things break down, he is so collected in the pocket that he can sidestep it very naturally. And He's buy, very good under buy, pressure. Yeah, he buys himself more time, which in turn creates more opportunity for yards through the air, which, by the way, could probably end up being a lot more than, say, if it were, uh, if, 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 you know, you were trying to just run the ball for a first down or something along those lines. If you are legitimately finding your way and, and getting it, the ball to a receiver who busts out of coverage because the, the cornerback or the safety is keeping an eye peeled on, on what the quarterback is trying to do or trying to jump a, a you know, a, just a little dump down to a running back, then you could have potential big yardage there. And that's the type of ways that he wins. So I, I, I like I think him that's a lot. where he gets himself in trouble too. Sure. Is holding onto the ball too long and not living to fight another down. And that's why, again, why I think he is the easiest evaluation and the easiest guy to develop because that's something that you can coach out of him. Hey, throw the ball away, you know, just get rid of it and move on to the next down. A lot of times when he bought him, you know, bought himself more time, that's when he was making these turnover worthy throws, trying to do too much tough to blame him considering what was around him at UCLA. Most of the year he got beat up pretty bad and, he was constantly having to keep his team in the game because the defense really wasn't very good. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that you can easily coach out of a guy. I don't know if you can 
coach Josh Allen into being a more precise thrower of the football or, you know, a guy that can hit the easy passes with more consistency. I don't know if you can coach the turnover issues out of Sam Darnold. I think you probably can, but, you know, there's a little bit more unknown with that than the way Josh Allen was, or Josh Rosen was turning the ball over, which seems to be a little bit more correctable. And the more correctable flaws a guy has, the better. Yeah. Um, and the more stuff that I don't know that you can teach, like how calm he is at, a, you know, in the pocket and eluding rushers and attacking different coverages and the mechanics that are just natural to him at this point, all of that puts him a couple steps ahead of the curve when he steps into an NFL locker room. I tend to agree. All right, so here's the way uh, things that – how the, the rest of the week is going to go for us here on the Bills beat. Um, so tomorrow we're going to churn out another pre-draft podcast. It'll be after both of our final mock drafts are out there, which will both be coming down sometime on Thursday morning slash early afternoon. Um, and then uh, we'll get together and we'll – Make make the final shot in and really after all of these rumors kind of subside and and really things start to crystallize on the morning of um, at least that's what I found in in my experience with the NFL draft where you know a lot of these rumors start to subside and and you get down to the real nitty gritty um, at least for the first couple of picks and that's really important for from a Bills perspective because if the if Darnold goes one then they can start to be a, make things a little bit more predictable for them as uh, as the rest of the draft uh, goes. So we'll do that tomorrow. Um, we've had we had a, a bunch of questions from listeners thrown to us uh, by using the hashtag Billsbeat. So didn't want to ignore those, and you know we might not get to all of them per se, but uh, you know I think for at least a few of them there's some really compelling questions. A lot of them are Rosen based, and I get that. Um, because he's the 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 Twitter son, the the draft Twitter son of uh, most fans out there. He's definitely uh, draft candy, so to speak, when when you watch his film because you see him make such pretty passes that um, that he starts to rocket up boards. All right, so um, what we'll do, we'll go into a couple of questions here. Our first one comes from Tyler, who says, "Can you guys quickly mock out the worst case scenario for the Bills?" For this draft, I'll give one, then you can give one. Um, my potential worst case scenario for the Buffalo Bills, at least in my mind, is if they get frozen out of the quarter, the top four quarterbacks, or heck, even the top five, and they they just don't think Lamar is a guy that they would like to build around. Um, Roquan's off the board. Tremaine Edmonds and Leighton Vander Esch are all off the board by the time the Bills are picking at 12. And they end up going with, like, Denzel Ward at corner and Mason Rudolph at 22. To me, I'm not ecstatic about that draft. Uh, You know, Denzel Ward's a good player, but you just used a first-round pick on a cornerback. At least with the first pick that you have, I understand keeping to the board is just... I don't know if you, if you don't come away with a lot a linebacker or one of those top four quarterbacks, I think that's a that's a worst case for me. I think the top four quarterbacks, Roquan and Tremaine Edmonds being off the board, is sort of a a doomsday scenario for them. 
it would al- almost I mean picking Van Der Esch at 12 almost he's seems gonna like go it wouldn't be a, a, a great scenario he's gonna go high because I just don't know that you're playing the value game when you do that I don't yeah, know but that you're and he could go very high and he could I mean he could be the pick but I just think you're not being very smart about how you know you you manage value in the draft and Man, I mean, Denzel Ward should be off the board by 12. I mean... He was just a for instance. But, but yeah, I mean, there that I think the top four quarterbacks going off the board is kind of the worst case scenario. And how does it happen? I mean, Darnold one, Mayfield three, and then the Cardinals moving up to get one, mm-hmm. and the Bills kind of sitting on their hands and letting the Dolphins take Rosen. Mm-hmm. I think when you mock it out, Maybe the worst case scenario is Mayfield goes one, Darnold goes two, and Rosen goes three. And then the Cardinals trade up for Josh Allen and the Bills are kind of left out in the cold. But I think the important thing to note is that even the worst case scenario isn't a complete disaster. Because they still have two first round picks. They still have two first round picks. And you have to think if four quarterbacks go in the top, you know, in the top five to 10, Chris Ballard mentioned there are eight elite talents in this draft. Quentin Nelson's going to be gone. Saquon Barkley's going to be gone. Chubb. Chubb will be gone. Denzel Ward will probably be gone. Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds could be gone. Then you're looking at, you know, maybe Minka Fitzpatrick falls. Yeah, it's not a great situation, Mm -hmm. but they really need a nickel cornerback, and I think he's excellent in that role so even in the worst case scenario they're probably going to get you know one of the elite talents or have somebody willing to trade and then but then you have to be comfortable with mason rudolph maybe at that's two that's or, where it really gets murky for me because at that point i mean i know there are people out there that really like mason rudolph i'm just not in that camp and i think if you are sitting there at 22 in such a year where you have put all your eggs in the basket of getting a quarterback this year, and you come away with the sixth guy in this year's class. I mean, you can you can spin it however you want. Like, oh, he was a four year guy. You know, Sean McDermott likes that sort of uh, sort of player. Um, he got you know his stats increase from year to year. I get all that, but to me, I just you want a strong declaration. You want a firm belief. And if they pass on Mason Rudolph at twelve then how much do you really believe in the guy? And are you just picking him at 22 just to pick a quarterback? That's the main hesitation I have. I get the value game and I get all that, but that's completely blown up for the quarterback position. You have to have strong feelings about a player. And if they take Mason Rudolph at 12 because they get frozen out of the the top four quarterbacks, I'll go, okay, they must really see something in this guy. But if they stand pat and think to themselves, you know what? We'll wait around to see if that quarterback gets to us at 22. It's like, how much do you really like him? And how much are you really trying to sell the fans that this guy is the real quarterback of the future? But I think the conversation would steer back to what we talked about earlier. Find a way to build an offense where you can win with Mason Rudolph. Yeah, but then you get into Dalton territory. The big knock on him is, oh, a lot of his receivers were open a lot. Well, the Eagles found a way to get a lot of receivers open for Nick Foles. So, you know, there are ways to win with a guy who understands the mental side of the game the way Mason Rudolph does, a guy who's as good in the red zone as Mason Rudolph is, a guy who's big and 
pretty good under pressure the way Mason Rudolph is. He doesn't have the tools that the other quarterbacks have, and his placement isn't as good as his completion percentage numbers would indicate. But Totally agree there. You know, if you get him at 22 or in the second round, whatever it may be, because, look, the Raiders got Derek Carr in the second round. The second and, round is a different conversation. And they kind of felt they must have, you know, they passed on him in the top 10, but, you know, felt good about him in the second round. So sometimes that can work out. But I do think... Rudolph, you're probably getting stuck in the Andy Dalton territory and maybe even the Derek Carr territory. Oh, by the way, he might not be, you know, that upper echelon guy either. So for good or bad, if if you're taking Mason Rudolph at 22, that puts a stigma on him that he is the guy of the future. Whereas if you take him in the second round, and we've talked about this, you put yourself in a potential Jimmy Clausen or Deshaun Kaiser situation to where, hey, you know, you you liked his talent. I mean, at 53. The guy was available there for you, and, and you thought, hey, maybe there's some good things, good traits to work with. I'd give him a shot to see if he can win the job this year. And, you know, if it blows up and he's not good next year, then you live to fight another day with the quarterback position. I just think there's just, you know, for good or bad, the stigma with being a first-round pick is just so much different. And I, I, this is just me, maybe. But for an NFL franchise make a strong declaration that, especially if you already have a pick in the first round ahead of 22, make a strong declaration that that is indeed your guy. I just I just can't see them, or I, I just don't know how they can sell the fact that, hey, this is the guy that we believed in all along, and and uh, we, we know that this guy is, is someone that uh, can help lead us to where we want to go. Well, then why don't you take him at 12? It's really that simple for me. Once upon a time, in 1983, the Bills picked 12 and 14. They sure did. And they picked tight end Tony, Tony Hunter. Hunter yeah, who, I do Tim, remember. Tim Graham got in touch with him for a story today. It was a good piece. Rec- highly recommend, as usual. Also 25 but, years ago. Also 20. But it's it's funny <laughs> to think about. Is you No, know, God, 35 years because, ago. Because, you know, if you look at it, you're like, why didn't you just take Jim Kelly at 12? Mm-hmm. But, you know... That's a little bit different because they were 12 and 14. They probably knew, hey, the Lions aren't going to pick a quarterback. Correct. So, and it's also a different different age of trades and, and everything else. But I think, uh, I mean, there was a lot of wheeling and dealing uh, in the 83 draft as well. So I don't know that maybe it's just getting a little cute and playing the value game if they wait on him. But it, if he's there at 22 and you pick him, you're definitely putting quite a bit of your reputation on the line. For Mason Rudolph. Probably not. I think you can get away with him not being very good and still maybe get a shot at picking another one. It, but it it adds a different layer when he's picking. You would the first need round. a playoff appearance or two, but just you know, kind of in the Dalton realm. That's what I'm saying. Like, do you want to get stuck in the Andy Dalton vortex? Probably not. Does, does anybody? I mean, all right. I I might be being unfair to Mason Rudolph a little bit right now, but I I just. You want a strong declaration. It's been such a long time for the Bills where they've actually gone out on a limb and drafted a quarterback. And most of the time, they've drafted quarterbacks out of convenience. The only time they've really made a strong declaration was back uh, in the Philip Rivers-Ben Roethlisberger draft where they got butthurt that they, get, that they missed out on Ben Roethlisberger. So they moved back in the first round to get J.P. Lossman because they didn't want to go without a quarterback in that draft. And they forced it. So it's either been forced or convenience. There hasn't been 
really, uh, there hasn't been a strong declaration since Jim Kelly. And that's kind of abysmal for a franchise that has been so stuck in the mud at the quarterback position. So even if it's Josh Allen, I have him rated fifth out of uh, out of these quarterbacks. Whatever. If they move up to six or seven because they believe in the guy, then then go do it. Go go uh, go do it to your heart's content and prove that that he is the guy. I just uh, I just have a a lot of hesitation when you're talking about waiting on a quarterback just for the sake of hey let's get a guard at twelve instead. Let's get something different that we value more highly than the quarterback that we're going to sell you is our quarterback of the future. That's that's just a non-starter for me. All right, next question. Uh, let's see. Kyle writes, let's say the Bills get left out of the quarterback sweepstakes. See any scenario they decide to actually trade back and gather foundation for another crack next year instead of reaching for a guy they're not sold on? Very interesting question. Well... Yesterday, I spent some time watching Drew Locke because (laughs) I'm just bored of the 2018 draft. I'm already skipping ahead. Hello, Mizzou. And I think, so I've I've actually watched quite a bit of Drew Locke just because usually on Saturdays, I just flip the Mizzou game on. But Mm -hmm. he strikes me as what people want Josh Allen to be. And I say that because his completion percentage is right around 57%, I think. But he also had, I think, something like 27 or 28 drops. So if you take half of those and make them catches, he's right at 60%. I will say for Josh Allen, the one thing that, that might help his numbers if is if they threw as many you know passes that were closer to the line of scrimmage as, say, a Baker Mayfield did at Oklahoma. That, that probably would have inflated his it numbers a little bit. It also probably would have helped if he was better at those throws. Because True. Because he's not very good in the short range, which is part of his problem. But He's passable, but he's not elite at yeah, it. How about that? You should, those are the ones you should be able to make. And those are the ones you have to make probably most often is some of the ones that look easy. And I, I don't know. I'm intrigued by Drew Locke. Uh, I think from people I've talked to, that's the favorite early favorite for the number one pick and the number one quarterback big strong arm you'll hear a lot of the same conversations you're hearing about Josh Allen right now about Drew Locke that's my early prediction on him but the difference being he threw 40 plus touchdowns in the SEC last year so a little bit different than Josh Allen's production in the Mountain West but you know the early take is that it's probably not that deep of a group I watched the kid from Oregon and he's still very, very raw and, you know, hasn't played a ton of football. There needs to be another year of so seasoning with a lot of these a guys. A lot of these guys. And some of them will emerge out of nowhere. Maybe a Blake Bortles type, you know, rise up the board uh, with a strong 2018 season. I would almost be more apt to say, yeah, do that. Mm-hmm. Not Because you're not punting. I mean... There's this belief that this is a complete failure if they don't come out with a franchise quarterback. If they get frozen out, and then maybe it's that's what just happens. me wanting to do this all over again in twenty nine <laughs> for the twenty nineteen. Because you want to see because, Twitter burn. Because quarterback is just fun to talk about. But I don't know. I I just don't think it can be a failure when a lot of it's out of their control. You know, if let's say it does go 
you know, Mayfield or some version of, you know, Darnold, Mayfield, Rosen early. And most of Twitter is in agreement that Josh Allen's not the guy. So if they trade up, if they don't trade up for him and somebody else does, is that a failure? You know, if you're frozen out of the top three guys on your board and you don't force it, mm-hmm. I mean, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because right. people are going to say, oh, they blew it. They loaded up all these draft picks and didn't get a quarterback. All along since January, we've talked about it being out of their control. Mm-hmm. It's part of why Brandon Bean has so much pressure on him is because if Dave Gettleman doesn't budge or if Dave Gettleman flips with the Broncos or whoever, you know, wants to come up and get a quarterback, uh, you know, that's closer to the top, you know, what are they supposed to do? Or if they don't view a certain guy as worthy, maybe it's Josh Rosen. Maybe we're completely wrong about him. Entirely possible. Mm -hmm. What if they don't view him as worthy of trading up for and say the Cardinals or Dolphins do and they make that move? They're going to get skewered for it. And then in three or four years, if Rosen is a bust, you know, you kind of reflect. So it's the same thing as getting frozen out last year. It's easy to say, well, they didn't even get frozen out last year. They, they chose they to freeze themselves. They punted. And they're <laughs> they not punting They were Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> they used the gun and froze themselves. They, that was a blatant, you want to criticize them for something, criticize them for that. Mm-hmm. If Deshaun Watson is as good as he looks early on, if Patrick Mahomes is what people think he is, that's where you get in trouble. I have a bit of a, for instance, for you, based off uh, the listener's question. Let's say they get frozen out of those top four quarterbacks. Lamar's on the board at 12. Bean and company decide, let's trade down with the Saints, pick up their first rounder next year. Saints go up, get Lamar Jackson. They would have punted on, or Lamar... Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes for another round of quarterbacks potentially and two cracks at it next year and probably a pretty good crack at it if uh, AJ McCarron and Nathan Peterman are the two quarterbacks going into it uh, into 2018 so uh, well I I love Lamar so that would really make me hesitate and I really love I really loved Watson and Mahomes both last year but I also realized that the Bills were not in a position to take a quarterback last year, or at least they didn't think that they were, especially without a GM in place. And I, that may end up being a critical mistake and of if, this regime. And in and, this and in this uh, hypothetical situation, if they do it again with Lamar, then I think that's, that's putting a lot of pressure on Brandon Bean to once he finally does take a quarterback to get it right. Because the chance that... All three of those guys, Mahomes, Watson, and Jackson, hit in a large way, not great. The chance that one of them does, even better. Like, a lot or better. Or two. I mean, one or two, two could end up being good. really good. Two look pretty good early on, and Lamar has, you know, that same upside mm-hmm. and potential. So, that's where you can criticize them. If it's Dave Gettleman didn't put the pickup for sale... And, you know, quarterbacks go one and three. I think ultimately they're going to be in a position to trade up for one or two of these guys at five or six. I agree. And it seems like the Broncos are willing to move and the Colts would probably be willing to move. I'd throw the Bucks in there too. And probably the Bucks. There's also 
the Cardinals willing to move up. Maybe the Dolphins willing to move up if the right quarterback falls. So at that point, yeah, you can criticize them for saying, oh, man, the Dolphins moved up and got Rosen and we didn't. Sure. Uh, you know, if, if you're a fan, you can criticize them for that. But ultimately, you don't know the answers until years down the road. And all that would tell you is that their, their board didn't have Rosen very high and or their bo- board didn't have Josh Allen very high, whatever it may be. And would you rather them sit back and stay true to their board or panic and go get a quarterback and hitch their wagon to a guy that they were only half sold on? Yeah. I mean, talk about this quarterback class all you want and look at next year and say, oh, I don't know if Drew Locke and Jarrett Stidham are, are any good. Well, sure. I mean, that's the, the case nearly you know every year early on. You don't really know, except for what, the Andrew Luck year that there was a guy coming through the pipe that was going to be a complete stud. But there's also other ways to solve your problem at the position and forcing it for the sake of forcing it. Brandon Bean has said, you know, he's talked to his scouts, check me. If I'm reaching, check me on it. So some of it is out of their control. And that's why I don't think it's a complete failure. And it would obviously be, you know, chaos if they traded down and loaded up on assets for next year because Mm -hmm. people would have to go through this all over again but i'm ready for it my my body is ready to (laughs) attack the 2019 quarterback class with with the same the same amount of vigor and enthusiasm unknown to mankind i'm ready all right a few more questions um evan writes in uh Kind of like the situation we lined up at the at the beginning of the podcast. Browns take Allen. Giants take Darnold. Jets take Mayfield. Browns take Chubb slash Barkley. How much do you think Bean and company are willing to give up to snag Rosen at five or six? Also considering they likely have to outbid out others. I'm going to kind of pivot his um, his question a little bit, and we'll say Rosen. We could say Rosen might be the last of the top four, or let's say the order goes. Mayfield, Darnold, Rosen in the top three, and then Allen is the last man standing. How much more should the Bills be willing to give up to do the deal if uh, if they don't, then there's Arizona sitting there. Let's say Arizona goes, all right, we'll give you something Buffalo's not willing to. We'll give you next year's first. Should the Bills really punt on it just because they don't want to give up next year's first? Or should they just bite the bullet and do it in that sort of sense? Because the market, the quarterback market, and the craziness for the quarterback market is kind of setting itself there. I know you've alluded to, you know, Brandon Bean having his guys keeping him in check. But if they really like Allen, which I think they do, or if they really like Rosen, which I think they should, I'm not sure if they do, then is anything off the table at that point? I mean, is it... Maybe it's you give up next year's first, but you keep 22 this year. Um, Is that something that they would consider? I think it would absolutely have to be, considering all of the homework and all of the importance they've placed on this year's draft. Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to depend on their board. It, It bleeds into the other conversation because if you deem three of them worth it and you're not able to get one of the three, you know, I think you have to pump the brakes. I think you have to stay true to what... But if it's a case of, we like these three, we would trade up for them, but we would take this fourth guy at 12. 
well then grow up mm-hmm. and move up and get him yeah. because if he's worth 12 he's it's the weird thing about quarterbacks you know if he's worth 22 he's probably worth 12 i mean what i get you have your board and there's other guys you know if roquan smith is sitting there at 12 you're probably tempted to take him and see if rudolph would fall to you at 22 but if a guy's worth 12 he's probably worth trading up for mm-hmm. so you know go and get you some mm-hmm. i mean that's I think what it comes down to, in, very interesting uh, nugget to throw out there in, in real time. Mary Kay Cabot, who's I think I know pretty plugged in on, on the Browns beat, said the Browns could be down to Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. Whoa! They I... have, in recent days, Mary Kay Cabot says they have cooled on Sam Darnold in recent days, and Allen and Mayfield have surpassed him. Mary Kay. And the past two days that she has participated in mock drafts have put Josh Allen first to the Browns. And if there is any person that is plugged into what's going on over at the Browns from a reporter standpoint, it's Mary Kay. She's rock solid. She's been doing it a long time. The interesting theory that was spun out there, which I like this theory a bit, I believe it was Josh Norris who was putting this out there, is that the reason it's so quiet is because John Dorsey is being pretty tight-lipped and maybe not even telling Hugh Jackson because the theory is that Hugh Jackson is the source of a lot of the information that gets out of mm-hmm. one Browns drive or whatever the hell they call it over there. So um, I think that's interesting because, you know, where's the info coming from is always a fascinating thing. I trust Mary Kay. I think, you know, she's pretty good at this and i don't think you know in all her years she would you know throw this out there and put you know just like these gms she's not going to put her reputation on something that um isn't from solid people so Mm -hmm. um the other thing that is worth mentioning mentioning here is that scott McLuhan is in that draft room he's in meetings and as a pre-draft advisor or whatever but before he took that responsibility he was a consultant and he was doing a little bit of media work and he was very clear that baker mayfield was his number one quarterback True. far and away Call, compared him to brett Favre, and so ruling him out side note there's been a lot of players compared to brett Favre this year yeah there's I, a, I've there's, heard, I, I can't wait to I've watch heard, the nfl the next few years four brett Favres. Brett Favres. darnold Throw, is a brett Favre. uh allen's a brett Favre. baker's a brett Favre. hey I grew up. I didn't like any teams growing up. I grew up a Brett Favre fan, and man, that well, would you're be in great. For a treat. I this know it's going to be Brett Favre slinging the ball all over. That would field. be awesome. Never mind that you know we could have some Ryan Mallets or you know whoever else. Don't if, you dare! If we're, Don't you dare! If we're you know talking about past Brett Favres, but you know Mary Kay, I I'm glad you brought her up because you know I I sat there looking at it and while everybody else is kind of centering back on Sam Darnold to the Browns there's Mary Kay over there going sticking her neck out for going hey I'm gonna mock Allen to the Browns in both Sam Farmer's annual uh expert mock draft and then I think another one for a radio station uh near the uh Cleveland area it is interesting the lead is a day before the draft it could be down to Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield at number one overall sure league sources it could Could. be could it could be down to God only knows but um 
again, she's she's plugged in, and that's definitely worth uh, worth mentioning because God, just when I thought I had Darnold yeah, ready, written in pen, lo- locked written in for in number one, this happened to me again earlier in the process too. And then I'm like, well, this Josh Allen stuff isn't going away. And then I'm like, all right, Josh Allen might actually go first. And even for the pod mock, I had Josh Allen going one as the GM of the Browns, and. Then I'm like, ah, well, you know, Darnold seems like it's centering back on him. Even at the beginning of this podcast, I'm like, it seems like everything's centering back on Darnold. I love the draft. This is what makes it fun. The draft is awesome. It's not too often that the number one pick is sort of a mystery. You know what? I've been critical of John Dorsey. Thank you to him for making this number one pick so interesting. There was a time when I thought, what in the hell do you have to gain by making it a secret? Well, what you have to gain in a draft like this is making the Jets go, oh, no. Like, <laughs> now we got to spend our time on, you know, let's dig in a little deeper. Josh Rosen. They had or, Sam Darnold in Sam for a Darnold. late visit. Right. We got to narrow it down. Do, who do we like better, Darnold or Rosen? Because they thought they were getting Mayfield. Or or do the, do the Browns say, hey, Jets, give us your next year's first. Go up and get Baker and uh, and guarantee that you have it. Which would be a little bit reckless, but it would be reckless. But if if they don't want Darnold, and they they kind of have centered themselves on Josh Allen, and they don't think the Giants are going to take anyone but a position player or Darnold or someone trades up to get Darnold, I mean, you get Allen. I mean, you trade away and get assets for Mayfield to keep people in the dark. I is actually a pretty sound strategy because. Now you're thinking, okay, Brandon Bean's going to spend time doing X, Y, and Z to plan for this scenario. Not that he hasn't already planned for it, but all of a sudden you're saying, okay, if Baker goes one, you know, what's our move and all this. Let's not forget that the Browns don't just own the first round. You know, they own more draft picks than anybody. I'll say the Colts own the second round, but the, the Browns own certainly the, own the draft. But the, the Browns own the draft. And anytime the Jets and the Bills and the Broncos, and whoever else spends worrying about different scenarios that are going to happen at the top is time they're not spending on guys deeper in the draft. Every little bit counts. Why give it away when you don't have to? Why? And so that's where I say maybe there's some strategic leaking of information to throw people off the scent. It'll be pretty hilarious if on Thursday night all this was going on and they're like, yeah, Sam Darnold. (laughs) <laughs> the guy you guys all thought dating back to last June. Yeah, that's the guy. Here's what I will be very interested in, above all else, in terms of mock drafts and everything along those lines. If there's one thing that Mel Kuyper loves more than pushing his own agenda on players sometimes, it's being right with his final mock draft. So if he flips, because he's been Allen this whole time, if he flips from Allen to Darnold, then I think that will be a good indicator as to what will happen. Because, I mean, you he's been the guy there at ESPN, and if he doesn't get the first pick right, that's a huge swing and a miss for him. So Mayock hasn't gotten the first pick wrong since, I believe, 2008. Mm-hmm. He does one mock draft. I believe it comes out either tonight or tomorrow morning, and he hasn't gotten the first pick wrong in a long, long time. So that's one to pay attention to. Kuiper's one to pay attention to. And like you said, they those guys put a lot out there in terms of, and not for nothing, but a year ago it was, you know, there were 
some swings and misses from the other uh, top guys. There were mock drafters who didn't have quarterbacks coming off the board until 17, and three went in the top 15. But at so, least number one was right. <laughs> but number yeah, number one was pretty easy last year. But even last year, there were some late Trubisky rumors. Even in all around. even in all years, I mean, these guys end up coming around to the eventual number. It one wasn't pick. until draft day in 2013 that i was like damn the chiefs are really going to pick eric fisher Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it kind of took a while for me to get there but um you know that one was out there and about same same split probably that josh allen was out there because when it first got out there people were like eric fisher no way and little by little it kind of became the chalk pick it got grosser and grosser yeah it was i don't know but uh, that was not a good What year pick. was that, 2013? It was the one year that I covered the draft live from Radio City Music Hall. Quite, yeah. the, uh, quite the experience. Guess who uh, the GM was? That was Buddy. Or Oh, the GM of the Chiefs was John Dorsey. Yeah, so <laughs> that's why I, I... I mean, John Dorsey has had his fair share of hits, but he's had some, some swings and misses. Tyson Jackson, was that the guy oh, they yeah. picked pretty high? Glenn Dorsey, they picked pretty high, so yeah, he hasn't he doesn't have a stellar track record, but he, I mean, picking number one overall in that terrible draft in 2013 wasn't a great situation to be in, but very interesting to see what happens. Um, we could be having an entirely different conversation this time tomorrow because more information comes out. So, uh, but Mary Kay is worth paying attention to. She over is there. Mary Kay is uh, one of the best local people out there covering their team and i think uh by all means i mean if Allen goes one giddy up bills fans because i think donald is the dude that that bean and company would do what it takes to to go get all right let's take a breath okay let's reconvene tomorrow after some of this uh some of this smoke and fire starts to subside We'll have our mock drafts out there, and then from there, we'll talk about our final shot and what we're expecting, what would be a win for the Bills. Man, it's going to be so much fun on Thursday night. I cannot wait. It's going to be so much fun on Friday night. It's going to be so much... Saturday's a good time. Saturday's a good time, mostly because you get to talk to uh, good old Bean and McDermott for an extended amount of time, and I wonder how open he'll be in terms of the process of you know angling through this draft I think that's one of the more interesting things especially if they come away with a quarterback and and via a trade um I wonder how open he'll be with that and and judging by him he's been fairly eh, fairly candid not entirely candid to the point where it would hurt him in future times but I think all in all uh, I think he he might give some pretty interesting insight as to how the whole kind of thing went down. So I would hope so. I think a lot of it will depend on how it goes. Yes. And I think I get the feeling he's not going to be very good at hiding it. No. Um, in terms of there's just there's something really unique about the draft because when they pick the player, they're standing in front of you, not five minutes later Mm -hmm. and so the adrenaline is just pumping through these guys 
Sean was even a little overtaken by the adrenaline a little bit, you know, like they have a little different pep in their step. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a post game, but I think McDermott in particular is really good at cooling down post game and, you know, getting into the zone for those press conferences and being reasonably dull. The draft is a little bit different. Uh, I was not there, but having seen videos of Whaley after trading up for Sammy. Oh, he was hyped. He could have run through a wall. Like, I, I mean, so that's what's gonna, That's what makes it really interesting. We're, if Brandon Bean is pissed off about getting boxed out of the quarterback market or anything along those lines, we will know. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, that type of thing is hard to hide, regardless of what he says. That stuff is hard to hide. So I think on the flip side, he could come out, you know, puffing his chest and, you know, ready to roll if they go up and get a guy that they really like. So we're going to see a guy with a weight off one way or the other uh, on on Thursday night and then through the weekend, hopefully. And one last note, Ian Rappaport just now said uh, Steve Weish has reported or Browns GM John Dorsey told Steve Weish the team has had no legit trade offers for number one. That figures to hold, which means Cleveland is on the clock. Let's see. Darnold, Mayfield, or Allen. Let's uh, stew on it. Man, I can't wait to see how this all plays out. Like I said, we will take a, uh, a breather and... Uh, Get to more of these questions and... Reconvene tomorrow because... You know, I, I could talk about draft all, all day. I mean, we've, we've been doing this for now almost an hour and 15 minutes. And, man, it's just, <laughs> I, could, I could go for another three hours here. I feel like, what, we're prob- we'll do one tomorrow. Yep. Probably have one up Friday morning reacting oh. to the madness. Oh, yeah. That, it, that's going to be a late night. Yeah. For sure. Because one... we're going to record the podcast. I don't know about you. I'm going to do a, a day two mock draft because why the hell not? Yeah. Why not? When in Rome, I mean, you, you gotta have the the day two content ready because they're the people. The people are thirsty. Yep. And then after day two, reaction there. I gotta mean, have your day three mock every pick. Four all through seven. the day three mocks. Yes. Um, but yeah, it'll be a late night. But gotta uh, the people are gonna want want the podcast for their their Friday morning commutes. Oh, we'll have and, it. And it it'll be the cure to your your hangover, whether you were celebrating or drinking away your your anxiety over who they picked and if you were with us during the season it might be eerily reminiscent of how tired we were after the jets game uh the uh the primetime game i should say because eh, it'll be that might be the first time we record two in a day have we ever recorded two in a day because we're going to record one in the morning or sometime before the draft starts well for your evening commute well let's uh well, it might not be. It might be exactly. past midnight. Exactly. <laughs> it might be early Friday morning when we record. All right. So we will talk to you again tomorrow. Make sure to um, get through this one so that way you're ready to go for tomorrow. I'm saying it at the end, so you probably have already done that. So I'm going to stop talking now. Um, all right. So my name is Joe Biscalia for Matthew Fairburn of NewYorkUpstate.com. It's draft week, everybody. Let's have some fun. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See ya.